Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello there. Welcome along to Writer's Routine. This week, we're chatting to Lexi Elliott. She is back with her third novel, How to Kill Your Best Friend. We chat about how lockdown ending has completely changed where she goes to write. Also, how, quite rarely for an author, the title of this book came before the plot. And you can hear why she's learned so much about the whole process of publication in the space of a few years. The learning process with the first book being published was uh, was a big one for me. I didn't know how publishing worked. And uh, going through that process taught me a lot. And uh, I was able to take that on board for the future. One of the things that having a, a publishing contract does for you is um, it puts in place a certain amount of rigor because your editor will need to agree an outline of a writing project before you start on it. So there needs to be a f- pretty firm plan. It doesn't need to be, you know, 20 pages, but it, I, as I mentioned before, it'll probably be a five or a six page file that, uh, that I'll have discussed in detail with my editor so she knows what I'm planning to do with this. There is more on the way with Lexi Elliott in this week's Writer's Routine. Yes. Hello, welcome to the show. My name is Dan Simpson. Thank you for being there. Uh, This is Writer's Routine where we take a look inside an author's working day to see how they get stuff done. How they take an idea, how they plan their space and their life and their day around it to get it down on the page. This week we are with Lexi Elliott, who has accomplished things. She graduated from Oxford with a degree in theoretical physics. Can't even tell you what that means, but she's done it. She also became a championship winning swimmer and swam the English Channel, and she's now a full-time writer into her, well, just published her third book. And we talk about why she's chosen to do that, make the next stage of her career uh, as a writer. Why has it always been calling to her? Her debut was The French Girl, then came The Missing Years, and her new one is How to Kill Your Best Friend. It's the story of Georgie, Lissa and Bronwyn, who have been best friends since they met at a college swimming team. They do say, right, what you know. But now Lissa is found dead, uh, drowned on the coast of a remote island where she lives with her second husband. The question is, could a star swimmer really have drowned or is something else going on? 
Now, we talk about why she wanted to make the location, the remote island, as much of a character as anything else in the book. Uh, Also, why she's had to be much better with deadlines since becoming a full-time writer, dealing with everything that happens, how she's needed to be a lot more focused in that side of things. And when she thought that she had got a handle on this story's voice, there's all that. And we take you right through her day with Lexi Elliott kicking things off as always with what she sees around her in the place where she sits down to write. Uh, so ordinarily, I write either at home or out in um, a cafe, um, often the uh, cafe of my local leisure centre. So if I'm at home, uh, what do I see around me? A very tidy kitchen dining area, because if it's not tidy, then I can't focus. Um, I sit at the dining table and uh, to my left, there's a window out to the garden. To my right, there's the kitchen area and very importantly, the kettle. Um, And I just crack on there. If I'm out in in a cafe, well, I usually take a seat as close as possible to a plug socket. And really all I'm doing is just focusing on, on the laptop and it doesn't really matter who's around me. Well, let's so talk me through that that home space you've got. Then, uh, what is there that's maybe inspirational around the walls that helps you be more creative than perhaps you couldn't be when you're in a cafe near the leisure centre? Well, I, there isn't really anything like that because I have made my writing process uh, very peripatetic. I can really do it anywhere. So any of the sort of mood board type things that perhaps historically people had, I have that digitally so that I can look at it at any point, any photos, any um, any quotes, anything like that. I make sure I have it in a file. Um I think the real advantage of where I am at home is that it's very close to the kettle. Quite, quite simply, I pretty much chain drink tea. As soon as one is finished, I'm up and making the next one. And uh, I, I also feel, I suppose I, I don't feel thoroughly cut off. If I went up to the study, which is really my husband's um, domain anyway, I think I would feel very, very cut off somehow. And usually I'm the only one in the house. So I don't suppose that would matter, but somehow it seems to matter psychologically. Uh, you say you've got everything you kind of need on, on your laptop. Is there a system for this? Have you got like one page with the quotes and the photos that keep you going? Have you got another with your plot line, another with your character? Just just run me through that as best as you can. I know quite often it could be a minefield. So, yeah, I have a kind of file per project, writing project. And in there, there would be an outline. Um and that would pro- there'd probably be a really short one that was the initial one, maybe one or two pages. And then there'd be a longer one, a five or six page one that I would have agreed with my um, publishing house. Um, there would be uh, images uh, as standalone files. There'd pr- probably be a Word document with quotes, as you say. Um, and then there would be the working file um, that, I'm, that I'm writing in. And, um, you know, if I'm further along, there would be the previous drafts of the of the project uh, we get quite niche and nerdy uh, so in the file that you're working on what font do you like to use <laughs> no, you are getting quite nerdy you're getting nerdy enough that i'm going to open the recent uh one and see what i was writing in it's always 12 point it's always double spaced and um i am in times new roman 
there you go. <laughs> uh, so why the the switch to a leisure centre at times or the cafe? Is that just to kind of get yourself out of the house to do something a bit different or is it more necessity because I know you are incredibly active? Well, before the pandemic, I would literally never write at home um, because I would always find something else to do. You know, it, it's absolutely astonishing how um, necessary it can seem to suddenly put on the laundry or empty the dishwasher or any one of a thousand really boring tasks. But if you're somehow trying to avoid writing, then you you end up doing all of those things. Um so actually, I would have always gone out of the house just because it was the only way to make myself productive. And that particular uh, cafe, the benefit is that, you know, if you go to a, a commercial chain, you feel like you have to keep buying coffees and things. Otherwise, they really ought to kick you out and get the space. Whereas if it's the area at my local leisure center where I'm a member, I feel more comfortable about the fact that I might be squatting in the same chair for, you know, three hours or four hours or whatever it might be. And I can get a nice lunch and I can get, you know, coffees when I want them. So that works quite well for me. But since the pandemic, um, you know, during that, I had to work out how to work at home because otherwise I would never have uh, produced another book in my life if I, if I couldn't manage that. So I am now much better at working at home and saying, okay, right, now is the time to sit down and, and write. And interestingly enough, I'm always in exactly the same seat. And if, in fact, I switch to doing admin, I would move my laptop to a different seat. There is one writing seat where I know, right, if I'm here, I'm here to do this particular job and, and to focus on that. Um, but, yeah, the pandemic cured me of not being able to write at home, that's for sure. And so now back to the other question you, you said, yes, sometimes I'm, I'm in, the, in the swimming pool in the morning and then it makes sense to be in the, uh, in the cafe at the leisure centre for a little while and then I might have a change of scene by going home or, and so on and so forth. It is nice to break it up from time to time. Switching seats to write and then do admin is quite interesting. It was that, like, how forced was that? Or, or is it just something that came to you quite naturally you're kind of at itchy feet and you think well I can't do this here well I it's one of those things that I didn't do it consciously and then suddenly I realized after a while oh goodness I go and sit up at the island if I'm doing you know checking the bank account or you know anything like that whereas I only ever write at that seat it, it, it wasn't that I forced myself into it I noticed afterwards that I was doing it and teaching yourself how to write at home. I know it was through necessity. You had a pandemic, so there's nothing else you could do. Uh, how easy was that? How how hard to kind of switch your brain on at times where it's not used to doing these things? Yeah, really hard. But um, I suppose I had the benefit that I was in an editing phase when the pandemic hit. So, you know, at that point where those of us with school-age children had school-age children under our feet, you know, just saying, Mom, I can't get on to this for school or the printer's not working or, you know, any of those things. And I just had to snatch, you know, if 20 minutes here, half hour there, whatever it was, I had to snatch the time when I had it. And um, for for an editing process, that's actually not too difficult. And I think it was like a, a on-ramp to being able to work at home. It, it eased me into it gently so that when it came to doing, you know, writing a new project where it's very different when you're kind of writing at the beginning and structuring at the same time. And, you know, you, your word count is very low because you're really kind of 
in that sort of detail, what's the scaffolding of the novel going to look like and so forth. Um, but I didn't get thrust straight into that at home. I had a, I had a little bit of a, a, a gentle intro, shall we say. It's interesting that before lockdown, you would go to a cafe to almost escape distractions at home, whereas I, I find public spaces quite distracting myself. How good are you at tuning everything out very good always have been I mean I as a teenager I my mum left me at home I was probably 14 to go and pick up my sister from uh the station five six miles away and a fire broke out in our kitchen I was sitting right next to the kitchen and I truly did not notice because I was doing my English homework and I was focused on my English homework and I totally didn't notice until the flames were hitting the ceiling. So, yeah, I have always been very good at tuning things out. Um, thankfully, the, the whole house didn't go up in flames. We did manage to, to salvage that. But uh, um, I, if it's really loud, then I'll put earphones in. But most of the time, I don't even need to do that. I just, I just look at what I'm doing and nothing else. So you, uh, you graduated from Oxford with a degree in theoretical physics, by the way. Uh, and and you, um, you know, you've won swimming championships. You do all that. Why is it that writing novels now is what has really uh, obsessed you and, and enticed you when you've had all these other things going on. I know you, you used to work in the city. Yeah. So I always wanted to be a writer, even, even from being the smallest of childs. Uh, when I first understood that books were written by authors and they didn't magically appear, that was exactly what I wanted to do. Um, and I, you know, scribbled little stories as soon as I could write properly. And and all the way through my teenage years and even through the years I was working um, in the investment bank, uh, I was writing on the side, often short stories, some truly terrible poetry, which we'll never see the light of the day. Um, and it was always a goal of mine, but I, uh, I'm relatively pragmatic. You know, I did want to pay the bills and, you know, be able to go on some holidays and so forth. And I felt that uh, following a career, you know, try, expecting to write a novel and just be able to pay the bills is is maybe a bit unrealistic. And in fact, you know, if you look at the stats on how much writers earn, it's, it's really quite horrific. So uh, the realistic side of me felt that following physics was was a better route to actually being financially independent. And that's what I did. But but all the time, this is what I wanted to do. And I think the mix while I was um, working in the city as well was, was great, actually. I was working in the city three days a week. Um, and it's it, it, I probably couldn't manage three days, three days a week again. Uh, I certainly had to take holidays to try and finish up on writing deadlines and so forth. Um, and that isn't really how I want to spend my, my holidays, to be honest. I want them to be holidays. Um, but, you know, I'm not ruling out doing bits and bobs of work in the financial industry again. But I suppose I have a belief that we don't any of us have to be just one thing that that we can be many things and that's okay and i'm uh, i wonder how kind of much you can uh, eschew modesty and self-analyze but it seems that what what you have done you, you know being a pretty successful author now and 
and swimming the channel and winning championships and even like going to Oxford. There's a degree of success in all of those. What is it about you, do you think, that allows you when you set your mind to something you can go through with it to quite a high degree of success? Uh, well, thank you. That's very kind of you to say. Um, I think I am very determined and quite disciplined. And I think I always was. But during my teenage years, I was swimming competitively at, at a time where, you know, you're doing, um, well, there's standard grades and hires in Scotland, but, you know, the equivalent of GCSEs and A-levels. And, and I kept it up all the way through because I felt the sport really helped clear my head. Um, but I had to be super organized. You know, it was a case of doing homework where you could at lunchtime, co coming in through the door after school and instantly getting stuff done because I was going to be in a pool from six to eight and so on and so forth. It just forced a level of discipline into me that is maybe not entirely usual and has been really useful in my life. So uh, a typical day in the, in, the, in the school term, I suppose, would involve getting up, getting uh, the little one on the school bus at um, 7.30, 7.45-ish. Um, I'd probably come back and do exercise. So that'd either be going for a run or going for a swim or maybe lifting weights. Um, so I most likely wouldn't be sitting down to, um, you know, and then getting clean and a, a bit of a anything that needs to be done around the house. I probably wouldn't be sitting down to write till about 10.30ish. Um, and I'd write pretty solidly with an intention of um, stopping for lunch round about one-ish. Um, it, it would depend, you know, if I get caught in something, sometimes it's two. If I'm struggling a bit, sometimes I'm stopping for lunch earlier. Um, and then go back to it in the afternoon. Um, now, Sometimes there's a point where you, I just fizzle out and uh, it depends, I think, in what, what stage of an ova I'm in. In the very beginning, it helps to have a, a word target to get through in the day. And that word target can be really small at the very beginning when I'm structuring as well as writing, if you like. I could even be right, okay, you just need to get to 750 or 1,000 words. Um, but then... I don't really need a word target um, as I as I get much further on in the book. I mean, in the last sections, I'm I'm really throwing out you know maybe three thousand, four thousand words a day. Um, so, you know, depending on where I am, I, I can find myself getting to the point of like, oh, I'm really struggling, but I've hit the word target, so I'm just stopping. Or um, sometimes it's like I'm writing right through until my son comes through the door at say four thirty. Um, and then, you know, spend some time with him, feed him, get him off to whatever he's doing, which is usually swimming or athletics. And then I might do some more sport myself at the same time, or I might sit and, uh, and write by the side of the swimming pool or, um, in the car while he's at the athletics or, or whatever. Um, and, uh, and then after that, it's, you know, probably a bit more food food for him and um a bit of telly and into bed <laughs> so yeah it, it, it's fairly jam-packed well you, you you were saying about word count there and maybe there is a goal that you would like to hit each day 
sometimes do you find that like mentally just to get to that word count you're writing words that you know are probably going to be cut um not necessarily words that know are going to be cut but you know i i think that they may be edited and sometimes to get the word cut i jump to the next section and i know i'm going to have to infill um and the first part of uh my day when i first sit down to write is actually um it involves looking over what i've done the day before um and a little bit of editing and tidying and and then kind of moving on from there so yeah sometimes sometimes that does happen that uh, you're you're getting the word count um but you know that you're in truth you're maybe only getting 80% of it because there's there's some that's going to be need to, need to be changed but i do i i, I know i'm um, some people would say, oh, you shouldn't go and edit what you've done the day before. But I, it really works for me to get my head back into it and to make sure that I'm picking up the voice properly and um, just to to keep it clean. You know, I, I like to write very cleanly. And I know that you, you mentioned endless cups of tea, but on, on days when perhaps the, the words aren't coming easy, uh, what what have you learned that that helps you out that that helps grease and unblock the clog? Yeah, so either, like I said, jumping to a different section can really help. Um, and just go okay, because there's been times where I've been stuck on something, and then I've said okay, I'm getting nowhere. I'll jump to a different section, and then when I come back to it, I go well. I didn't even really need that bit that I'm stuck on. And I was getting almost bored of writing it myself. So it'd be bored, boring for the reader to read it. So I can, I can cover that ground in a different way. And so maybe going ahead gives you a fresh perspective. Um, and then the other thing is just, you know, get outside, go for a walk, go for a run, do some exercise, something like that. If you're really, really completely stuck, um, just sitting, staring at a page for an hour, isn't going to do anything for you. At least if you, pull on some shoes and go for a walk, you'll come back and you've had, you know, an hour's walk inside you. And that's got to make you feel better, even if you don't come up with a fresh perspective. I'm always interested in the switch to full time writing. Uh, when you come from, you know, quite a, a structured world uh, working in the city, I know that was three days a week, but you're still immersed in it. Uh, how easy was it for you to make that switch to having the, the whole week yeah i i think i continued to struggle with the isolation of being a full-time writer it is a, a, a terribly isolating job and i always appreciated the social aspect of um being in the city three days a week and you know seeing my colleagues and and seeing other friends who work in the city for lunch and so forth um and i always felt that that was very good for me mentally to, to have that. So I do continue to struggle with the isolation and I'm not sure I really quite have any fantastic solution for it. Um, you do have to be incredibly disciplined and, and I try and give myself little kind of micro deadlines because uh, it was all, there was always a sense of urgency when I was working three days a week in the city and only had two days plus weekend to, to write um, 
the novels that, uh, you know, I would be worried about not hitting the deadline and therefore would have a, a, a certain amount of a devil on my back pushing me forward to make sure that I, I wrote and got things done. And so I've had to be better with micro deadlines and, um, okay, you're going out this evening, you need to do this amount before you go, or um, you need to do this word count before you do anything else. And But one of the things that uh, that writing full-time has afforded me is the ability to follow some other little projects on the side that may or may not ultimately be published, but you know, it, it maybe keeps the creative juices going as well to be doing something different too and just having more diversity in my writing. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. We're back with more from Lexi in just a sec. Now, just in case you missed this last week, uh, very excited. I will be at bloody Scotland in a few weeks' time. Uh, it's, I think it's the third weekend of September sharing a few sessions one of them a conversation between uh, Joanne Harris and Janice Hallett uh, phenomenally successful authors who have both been on this show I'm very excited to catch up with them and to talk to them about their writing process that's happening I think it's the weekend of the 18th 19th of September I don't have the calendar in front of me but it's happening in Stirling in Scotland it's one of the biggest crime writing festivals in the world Ian Rankin is there Irvin Welsh is there there's loads of authors that are all talking throughout that weekend to a week kind of thing uh, up at bloody Scotland. So if you're nearby or if you're going, make sure you find me. I'll be floating around Scotland, uh, floating around Stirling anyway, uh, over those couple of days. Make sure you find me, say hello, we'll, um, we'll grab a beer and just talk books, I would say, up at bloody Scotland. Uh, you can also get in touch with the show if you want to say hello before that. Use the contact form at writersroutine.com. You can follow us on Twitter. We are at writerspod there. And if you're enjoying what we're doing, if you'd like to support the show, help us keep bringing you these chats with the best authors around, the easiest way to do that is to become a backer at Patreon for just a few dollars a month. You get our undying thanks, you get merch, there is bonus content, there is even a way for your book to sponsor this show. Uh, By becoming a backer and helping us at patreon.com forward slash writersroutine. 
Let's get back to it then with Lexi Elliott talking about her brand new novel, How to Kill Your Best Friend, finding out the mystery behind the fantastic swimmer Lissa's death on a remote island and what really went on. We talk about when she thinks she found her writing voice, uh, also why she wanted the island itself to be one of the main characters of the whole story. And we pick things up talking about how she switches off at the end of the day. She has a lot going on. She is now a full-time writer. When she's really immersed in the plot, how does she not find herself be drawn back into the story when everything else is going on in her family later at night? I I think that at certain points in the writing process, I could be guilty of that. And I was very conscious of it. And so I would try and maybe give myself a break, take a cup of coffee out into the garden or something for 20 minutes before he came back so that he was talking to me, not me, plus a cast of characters that were doing things in my head. Um, you're right. It can be, it can be difficult. It's so much easier if you're, if you're in an editing phase, as opposed to a real kind of creative, got to move the story along phase. Um, but I, I, I do agree. It, it's something that people have to, well, writers have to um, be careful of because you want to be present for the people in your life because the people in your life are what make it worth living. You're talking there about like the editing phase and earlier on you were mentioning structure and stuff. Now, those people who are just starting out writing, maybe getting their first one down, might just open a Word doc and start typing and see what happens. You're four books in now, and there seems to be more of a sense of how these things are done. Uh, how did you learn and develop that? Was Is it just something that's come through the process of four books, trying to agents and editors? Is this something that you actively sought out to learn? Well, I think the the learning process with the first book being published was uh was a big one for me i didn't know how publishing worked and uh going through that process taught me a lot and uh, i was able to take that on board for the future one of the things that having a, a publishing contract does for you is um it puts in place a certain amount of rigor because your editor will need to agree an outline of a writing project before you start on it. So there needs to be a f- pretty firm plan. It doesn't need to be, you know, 20 pages, but it, I, as I mentioned before, it'll probably be a five or a six page file that, uh, that I'll have discussed in detail with my editor. So she knows what I'm planning to do with this. And nobody's going to hold a gun to my head and make me write to that precisely. But, that is the initial plan. Um, and then there are, there's subsequent drafts, obviously, which is what I would think of more as a sort of editing phase because um, you, you do your first draft. If there are any big thematic or directional changes, they'll come in um, on the notes on your first draft and you'll use those to create the second draft. But then if if there's a draft after the second draft, the changes for, for me, certainly in my experience, would be very, very minor. Um, and that process is a more, shall I say, mechanical one, less creative perhaps, because you are 
you're maybe looking at sentence structure. You're maybe looking at um, moving a section because it, it doesn't quite fit, or you're looking at tightening up a section because it's dragging there, and so on and so forth. But it's less about oh, what is the story going to be? How is it going to move? What is the atmosphere? What is the tone? It's, it's much less about that um, than it was in, in the very first draft. How tempting is it in those drafts where it is purely structural and, as you say, more mechanical, how tempting is it to be a bit creative and and change things around? Is it hard to pull yourself away from making any drastic moves? Well, if it if the story requires it and if you think it would make a better book, that's always fine. I... They, particularly with this book, Bright and Deadly Things, there was a, a fairly large move between the first draft and the second draft, where I there was the, I, I'd pushed in a certain direction the first um, in the first draft, and my editor really wanted me to pick that up and run with it, and and that was great, and I actually really enjoyed working on that second draft and and really exploring that angle of things. Um, so yeah, you you certainly can can do that, and I think the I think for me, what I also really enjoy is just seeing that with this kind of effort, and it really is that attention to detail t- towards the end that takes so much time, but it has such an impact, and you end up with a much much better product. And I really. I, I get a sense of satisfaction now of um, polishing it up, if you like. The new book is How to Kill Your Best Friend. Just run us through, Lexi, the very first moment that the idea for this story came into your head. So I was on vacation and before I'd left, my editor had asked me the very scary, scary question of what are you going to write next? And I was thinking, hmm, okay, what am I going to write next? Uh, and uh the this title just popped into my head and i was thinking wow that's a great title first and then well why would anyone want to do that what must have happened that's a really interesting idea i'm quite intrigued and um it it went from there and the place where I was staying, I was on a an island in um Southeast Asia that had a real impact on on the setting for the book, which is, you know, an island in Southeast Asia. Um, so it, it really sort of played into what I was thinking and this cast of characters grew in my head within this setting. Um, and I think it's one of those novels where the setting is almost like a, a character in itself. You know, it interacts very much with the rest of the cast. And I don't see how you could pick up this story and put it really anywhere else because the interaction between the location and, and the storyline is too integral. So a rather open-ended question now then. What, what happens next? So you've been on holiday, you've got the title, you've got an idea, oh, this something could happen here. Uh, how do you then make a plot that befits that title? How to kill your best friend? Okay, I need a group of people. And a, a best friend needs to die. So how, what are you thinking? How are you brainstorming this before you start writing that first sentence? It just, the, the characters sort of tend to present themselves. And I start to think about, you know, in this case, I started thinking about Lissa very strongly and getting to know who she was within the context of the setting of this, you know, island. And, 
why she would be there and um what her friendship group was like and and then that sort of led to the triumvirate Lissa Georgie Bronwyn um who are essentially at the heart of the novel and the the element of the swimming as being the glue that brought them all together because they all met at the at, at um the, at college swimming together i i suppose the island in itself had led to the swimming angle because I, I had, you know, started thinking about, okay, someone's going to drown and how is that going to work and where are they and why would they? I, and it, it all kind of came together like that. And then based on that, I wrote maybe a, a two-page outline and, and um, ran it by my agent. And then after that, it went off to my publisher and, and she said, okay, work this up into – um, you know, a, a longer outline and we went from there. Well, talk me through that initial outline uh, because how, how much do you know structurally and plot-wise, beginning, middle and end? How much do you know before you like to start? Um, I probably know the beginning and the end and I'm a little fuzzy in the middle. Um, that's generally how it is. And uh, and that's even the case on the longer outlines too that... Um, what happens in the middle is the bit that's most likely to change because as you're writing it, your cast of characters refuse to do whatever it is you'd initially envisaged because nobody in their right mind would do it. And, and you realize that no, uh, that, that doesn't make sense. It's not authentic. Um, I, I need to move in a different direction. Um, but broadly speaking, the, the, the destination is usually known. Um, and, and my publishing editor will press me so that we have the major plot points. If, go- if there's going to be a twist, they want to know what it is and, and how that works and, you know, and who ultimately, um, well, who done it if it's a whodunit type story. <laughs> That's amazing that uh, because you know where you're going, but essentially you're letting uh, these, these three women... Georgie, Lissa and Bronwyn kind of off on their own for thousands and thousands of words and they take a life on, on their own. How how hard do you find it to kind of corral them in the direction that you would like and how much do they do their own thing and take you off down avenues you never knew existed? Uh, I always like it when I find I'm going in an avenue uh, I hadn't previously expected and that's because it's the characters are at that point, you know, really, truly authentic and living and breathing um, themselves. And I find that really fascinating that they will drag things off in a in a different direction. But but that's how it is because, like I say, these people just they they arrive in my head and they um, and they squat there and take up space and they do their own things and and people will ask me you know who they're based on and it it just doesn't work that way at all for me I'm sure on some subconscious level they have characteristics that perhaps I've cherry-picked from people around me but but that's not how I see them in my head they are fully fully formed people and how are you going about making a an island very specifically a character bringing out its its ominous nature how are you doing that and and thinking of the way you're describing that so it's so it's clear 
you have to have your setting very firmly in your head before you start, I think. Um, it's almost like if you don't know where you are, how can you possibly know where you're going? That's how I feel about it. And others may feel differently. And therefore, when you're, when you have a scene, you want to, you want your readers to be able to picture it in their head. Where are they? Well, they're sitting at a cafe. Where's the cafe? It's, um, on the beach and, and what is there around them? And, you know, you want to be able to bring all of that in. Um, and the, the in how to kill your best friend there's a a cove kind of cove and it was very important to get that right um because there is a, a fair bit of action around that cove and you know it, it's a dangerous swimming point it's it's where someone drowned and so forth and you know i could paint you that cove absolutely and and that's where i need to be in my head before i can write it that i could um okay i couldn't because i'm not a very good painter but you know <laughs> you know what i'm trying to say i i i can see clear as day what that looks like although it doesn't exist um the rest of the island uh more or less exists from places i've been to it's you know maybe an amalgamation of two or three places i've been to um but the way in which the, those places, there isn't any one island that is exactly where you could say this is the island that that was set set on, not in real life. Now you're writing a thriller, but this is, uh, you know, because of where you're setting it, I, I would imagine it, it's written slightly more prosaically than than other kind of hard boiled thrillers are. How much are you thinking about genre writing and and the the tropes that are expected and and the, the words that you're putting on the page? I don't. Um, you know, writers write novels and then um, publishing houses uh, ascribe a genre. Um, clearly, I uh, once you have your first novel published and your publishing house says, well, this is in the psychological thriller category, so we want more of those, please. Clearly, you're going to agree with your editor a outline for a new book that has the elements are expected that there's going to be peril, that there's going to be danger, that there's going to be some kind of mystery to be, to be worked out. But I, I like that aspect of things as a, as a form of scaffolding to, to lay the rest of the tale around and to be able to investigate some of the other things that you might want to investigate, like, you know, friendships and, uh, and what happens to people as they drift apart after university and, you know, the, what kind of personal responsibility do we have towards our friends and so on and so forth. These are all things that I want to explore, but I can do it within, within this framework. And I'm more concerned with making sure, you know, that the pacing is right, that the plot moves along and that it feels authentic. And there's never a situation where a reader, well, I hope there's never a situation where a reader would read one of my books and say, oh, you just threw in that twist because you wanted to say gotcha and it doesn't make sense. It doesn't fit with the characters. I'm a very character-driven writer and I would always want to, the characters to behave in a way that's authentic to them. You mentioned the outlines that you send your agents and publishers right at the start. How, how, how much did that change then You in the finished copy? How much did you stick to the ending and the twists that you, you did foresee? Um... In How to Kill Your Best Friend, pretty closely. Um, in Bright and Deadly Things, 
there was one big element that wasn't even mentioned in the uh, in the outline that hadn't even occurred to me. It just sort of arrived. Um, and well, two almost two big elements, I would say. And uh, and so there, I think you would be able to say there was a much bigger deviation. I spoke to an author just the other day who had published, I think, his 14th book. And I, yeah, I, I asked him, at what point did he feel he was really like getting a hold on it? get at understanding what his voice was that he had kind of cracked it and he said well it was only really at his 12th book now you're i mean this is your third you're you'll publish your fourth next year how much do you think you have figured it out how how closely and and how easily can you find that writing voice that i know uh, it, some struggle with when they're publishing their first I oh writing voice but the writing voice is very particular to the project so I think if the if the project if you're excited about it then and you can and you understand your protagonist and you can and you really feel that you know them inside out then that writing voice will come if if you maybe have some concerns about that or you're not really secure um, as to who your protagonist really is, then I, th- then I think it would be quite difficult. Um, I think in terms of other aspects of things, such as just the writing process in general, what works best for me and so on. Yeah, I feel like I'm getting much, much better than that, at that than I was in, in the first novel. Um, and maybe there's there's a point at which you plateau on that. You kind of you do get to a point where you you've mostly figured that stuff out. But interestingly enough, I think if I wrote in a different genre, I may find that there is you know a, a lot more that I need to discover about myself. And that is it for this week's chat with Lexi Elliott. Thank you so much to Lexi for coming on. That brand new book is How to Kill Your Best Friend. Uh, Next week, we are chatting to news correspondent Robert Murphy. He's written a book about a true crime that he covered on telly. It's called To Hunt a Killer. And it is co-written with the superintendent from the case. So it's true crime. It's a book, which is something we don't really cover too much on the show. Uh, I'm excited to learn the difference between that and kind of more uh, creative crime which is pure fiction that's with robert murphy next week on the show in the meantime you can support us patreon.com forward slash writers routine get in touch writersroutine.com. use the contact form there and give us a follow on twitter we are at writers pod if you're up in scotland in sterling mid-september i will see you at bloody scotland and also right back here next week with another episode of writers routine until then bye The biggest names in tennis are coming to Paris for the most anticipated Roland Garros in years. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled tournament access as the world's top players in tennis face off against each other. Will the veteran champions continue their dominance or will a fresh face emerge to challenge their legacy on the clay courts? Daily live coverage of this epic showdown begins Monday, May 20th. Don't miss a matchup. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Hold up. What was that? 
Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, Fresh. 